0: I'm Doug, I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just been such a blessing and an honor to be here, um, and I've just really enjoyed uh, with being with the staff and being with you guys. It's just so wonderful to have you back here, I just have to tell you. Uh, it's, I'm thankful for technology, but there's like nothing compared to just being together with brothers and sisters and worshiping, even with our masks on, and even if we're trying to social distance, it's just so much better, and I just give thanks to God. Um, so... Uh, Let me just give you a quick warning. Today, um, my sermon might be a little bit longer than, you know, what's normally scheduled. Maybe not, but just in case, I want to give you a heads up um, because I'm going to be exegeting the scripture a little bit, but I'll also be giving my testimony. Um, Pastor Dave had asked me if I could share my testimony, and I think it's good that we all share our testimony with each other so we can really give glory to God for what he has done. In our lives, amen. So we're continuing our series in the book of Jeremiah, and the overall series is entitled "Return to the Promise." Return to the Promise. Today I'll be speaking about faithless one, lowercase f, and then faithful one, uh, capital F, right and uh, O, in that sense. Uh, and so when we look at chapter three, verse one through ten, uh, the Lord continues to lay out his indictment, his judgment, his um you know just case against israel and when he's talking in chapter two he's talking about both the northern kingdom remember pastor dave shared this in the first sermon Um, and then the southern kingdom which is called judah so it's an overall you know indictment against israel and as we start chapter three it's just a continuation of it he describes israel as an adulterous bride He, he calls her a whore Uh, a prostitute that waits along the sideways for anybody to pass by that she will give herself to. Now, even though God had warned the northern kingdom of Israel again and again to turn away from seeking false gods, they refused. They did not hear and heed God's warning. So what did God do? God removed his protection and his blessing, and he gave them over to the Assyrians. In 733 BC, the Assyrians, they laid siege against the northern kingdom, Israel, ransacked it, and took thousands of Israelites into the Assyrian exile. And even after that, they still would not return to the Lord. But here is what the Lord says in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 10. We'll start from there. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 10. Yet for all this, for all that had happened to Israel... Her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares our Lord. The word pretense is the word falsehood, deceptively. Verse 11, And the Lord said to me, to Jeremiah, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Israel is faithless, but Judah is treacherous. Now, why would God say this? What is treachery? Treachery is a betrayal of trust. It's acting deceptively. So in essence, Judah is saying to God, you are my king, Jesus. You are my king, amazing love. But I actually worship money. But I actually worship pleasure. But I actually worship building my own kingdom." Jesus says it well in Matthew chapter 15 verse 7 when he's speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. What we see about the northern kingdom, about Israel, is they are openly going after false gods. They're openly worshiping the Asherah poles and Baal. They're openly doing this. They don't even try to claim to be good Jews. But on the flip side, Judah acting like they're really worshiping God. They're acting like they're really following God, like they're the good Jews. And, of course, they have Jerusalem, the city. They have the temple. They have the altar They have the high priest and the priest. They have the scroll. They have the sacrifices that are being burned every single day and just rising up with incense. So they're doing all the worshipful stuff on the outside, but on the inside, they're only pretending. They are not coming to God with their whole heart. You see, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the inside. What he wants is not just our outward rituals of worship. He wants our whole heart devotion. And if you think about it, that's absolutely right. It's absolutely fair. It's absolutely just that this is what God would expect. Imagine those of you, I mean, I see a couple, maybe a couple married couples, but I also see some who are going to be married, and some of you who maybe in the future want to be married. But imagine you go up on that day, and you know, you you invested all this money in a ring and you want to propose and you get on your knee and you say, I love you with all my heart. Will you marry me? And you open up the jewelry box and she goes, oh, and she looks at you and she goes, oh, yes. I love you completely too on Sundays. But Monday through Friday I'm going to love Jeff and Saturdays I'm going to love Alex. You would say, what? No way. That's Of course not. And God, because he gives of himself 100% in his covenant commitment, it is just and it is right that he expects that in return from his people. Judah has been treacherous. Pretending to love God, pretending to worship God, but actually worshiping and loving another. Let's continue on. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 11. And we'll read to verse 14. And the Lord said to me, this is to Jeremiah, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words to the north. Go go up to Israel and, and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. The word of the Lord to us today. Please just take a moment to look at that yourself. God describes Israel in Jeremiah chapter 3, as faithless seven times. Here we see him mentioning it three times. That word faithless in the Hebrew is the word meshuva. Meshuvah. And what it means is backslidden. It means that it's apostasy. So in essence, what God is saying to Israel is this. You know who your deliverer is. You know who your savior is. And you know where you belong and who you belong to. But you have backslidden. And you have rejected your God, you have rejected your deliverer, your master, your savior, and you've gone after false gods, false gods that cannot save you. And it's serious. It's serious. Now, after all this indictment against faithless Israel, after all the wickedness that God points out, all the adultery, what does God want? What does God want in return? He wants Israel to return. Return. It's almost like God is, is, is this beautiful bridegroom, this beautiful husband who's married to Israel, and Israel is sleeping in another man's bed, and God is saying, I've been telling her, I've been calling out to her, but she's not listening to me. So he reaches out to like, his best friend, like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you go talk to her, because maybe they'll listen to you. Please. She hasn't been listening. Please. And so what he desires of faithless Israel is return. Come back home. Come back to me. That's what God wants. He wants you to return. Now I can imagine Jeremiah, he's been receiving these words, right, from God about their adultery, about their whoredom, about their idolatry. And then all of a sudden he hears, this is the message I want you to give them, return. Return. I could just imagine Jeremiah thinking, why? Why would you do that? Why would you want her back? She's in another man's bed right now. Why would you want her to come back? Such a rebellious people. And it's because of this. Even though Israel is faithless, God is faithful. God is the merciful, faithful one. He is the one who is faithful to his glory, and he is the one who is faithful to his covenant commitment. I have committed myself to Israel. And even though they are faithless, I cannot deny my character. I will do everything I can to restore her and bring her back to me. And of course, we we know this in the fulfillment of sending the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us. But what does God ask for them in in order for them to return. What's the one thing he asks him to do? Does he ask him to do more sacrifices? Does he ask him to give more into the temple? Does he ask him to to sing more songs, which is great? What does he ask him to do? Only acknowledge your guilt. Only acknowledge that you're guilty of sin and that you have rebelled against God's voice. In other words, what God is saying is, I only want you to be honest. Take an honest inventory of a life and be honest and confess your sins and come back with your whole heart. Because that's what God wants. He wants your heart. Now this is where I'm going to go into my testimony because today's passage, I feel like is such an actual application, direct revelation of truth in my own life of what God has done in my life. So you know, I grew up going to church. Um, I attended because my parents took me. And it's oftentimes forced me and this is a good thing. Parents who you have kids, you have been called and you're given the responsibility and the authority to teach your children the way they should go. So that when they grow up they will not stray from it. When they get older enough to get out of your house, do what you want. But under my authority in my house, you will follow the rules that we that's perfectly a good thing. So even at times I didn't want to go. I still went because my parents forced me, but also because I had some friends at church that made it bearable. So some of you maybe in this room be like, I go because it's a ritual. I go because my parents want me to. I go because my friends here. So we're all in the same boat. So even though I went to church and I heard the gospel message, I never really meditated upon it, and I, I took it for granted. It's like a, a pig that you throw pearls to, and you just trample on them. That's kind of way I treated God's word. So by middle school, my family moved from Flushing. That's where I kind of grew up from, like kindergarten all the way to sixth grade. And then in seventh grade, we moved to Roslyn, uh, which is in Long Island, because my parents wanted a better neighborhood. But it was actually really challenging moving there. Because when I lived in Flushing, I don't remember facing racism. I don't remember hearing like, like slurs, racial slurs. Maybe I did. I was just too young. But when I moved to Long Island, like everybody around me was Caucasian. Blonde hair, blue eyes, a lot of Jewish people as well. And I started hearing these words like chink, gook. I'm like, what is this? What are these words? And so it was really challenging for me to kind of find my identity. Now what happened was by the time I was a junior in high school, one of my other Korean friends, and there were like five Asians in my whole high school, right? So one of my other Asian friends, Korean friend, who was a senior, he said to me, he goes, Doug, let's make a gang. So I said, "Okay, well, you know, I'm already already, like smoking. I've been smoking since I was like in seventh grade. I'm already drinking. I'm already fooling around, messing around, going to parties." So I was like, "Okay, yeah, let's do it." He goes, "And the purpose of our gang is that we'll go around Long Island and we will defend other Asians against, you know, being picked on." So I was like, "All right, sounds good." So then, what's the name? He came up with the name. The name was ODS, like ODS, ODS, and it stands for Oriental Domination Society. We took it seriously, though. We took it seriously. <laughs> What's crazy is that, you know, what happened was um, pretty soon our reputation got around. We were actually going to different high schools, like Herricks High School, Colmac, Great Neck. We would go around different high schools, and we would actually defend Asians and fight against, you know, white people, whatever people. But our reputation started to spread and it was a good thing, partly, because when I would walk into my high school, all of a sudden people that used to like hurl racial insults at me, they would like, actually put their head down and they would walk away like, that's Doug, he's in a gang, don't mess with him. And I kind of like, yeah, that's what life is about, like power, respect, they fear me. But on the flip side, it was not good because it actually, our reputation got to the gangs in Chinatown, the real gangs. And so, again, I'm in high school, you know, junior, and I would still go to church on Friday nights to, you know, hang out with my friends. So I would sh- shot pool at a, at a pool hall in a Bayside called Corner Pocket. It's not there anymore, but I used to shoot pool. And then I took the bus, and as I was going to church, like two blocks away, I saw this mass of just people in front of the church, and they're all wearing black. So back in my day, if, if you were a gangster, you wore black, all black, and you wore pants that were kind of like jockey like pants. Like You would take your pants and you would Make it really tight down here, and then you put safety pins in it. That's what we would do, okay? I know, it's kind of weird. And then you would spike your hair, not like in the middle, but on one side. Like it would be spiked. And the higher the spike, the tougher you had to be. It's true. So I got there, I see all these, like, like I see a black. And then my friend sees me and starts walking towards me, even like when I'm a block away. He goes, yo, Steve, yo, Steve. And I'm like, Steve, my name is Doug. Why is he calling me Steve? And he comes up to me and goes, Doug, those guys are from FD, which is Flying Dragons and they're here to kidnap you. They're going to kill you. I'm like, what? They're like, get out of here. So I, I, I book, take a left, and I just walk around the whole block, and I come back, and they're gone. And I ask him, what's going on? He's like, apparently there's a hit list. And Chuck, who's the, my friend who's a senior, he's number one, and you're number two. And so, you know, you would think, like, I would get the message, like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But nope. I just continue on. And about a few weeks later, I get a phone call from a girl um, who I was acquaintances, I wasn't close, but you know, we kind of partied. And uh, she was actually a pastor's daughter, too. And she hung out with this gang called Fuching. It was a gang that was more situated in, in Queens, and they were like Korean and Chinese gang. And so she called me and she said, uh, Some of the guys from Fuching, they want to meet up with you guys and join together. So I thought, okay, that's cool. We get become more powerful and whatever. So Chuck, myself, and three other guys from ODS, we go to Flushing Diner, meet five of those guys, and we're hanging out there, but it was felt really weird. Everyone's staring. So they're like, let's get out here. Let's go to Flushing Park. So we go, okay. So we go to Flushing Park. One of my guys go into their car, and one of their guys goes into our car. And the guy who was in the car with us, he's really friendly. He's like, oh, like, it's cool, man. We're going to join together. I'm like, yeah. So we get to the thing, and one of the guys in my car, he actually had a gun, but we told him, leave it. You don't need it. Just leave in the car. So as we get out of the car, all of a sudden I hear their trunk closed. Doom! And I'm like, what? what the heck? What's going on? And as they're walking towards us, one guy has his hand behind his back Two guys had their hand in their jacket. So as we enter the park, there's no one there. The guy pulls, uh, he has a Louisville slugger, the wooden bat. And the other guy pulls out a little Mets bat, and the other guy pulls out a, an iron pipe. And the guy who was in our car, he pulls up his shirt, and he has a 38 revolver. And he says, if any of you try to run or, or scream, I'll, I'll shoot you. So they tell us to sit down. And then they ask us, which one of you is Chuck? I'm like, oh, phew. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't point to him. I don't point to him. But, you know, it's not me. And then they just on just up. Bah! And they start kicking him. And, you know, Chuck is not a gangster. He lived in Long Island all his life. He has a 3.7 GPA. He, he's not a gangster. And so he's, they start beating him up. He's like, cut it out, cut it out. He's like defending himself. And then they do that for a couple of minutes. I don't know how long. And then all of a sudden they go, which one of you is Doug? And I'm like, oh, that's me. And they just start wailing at me. I, I, I don't cover myself up. I'm just so angry. You betrayed me. Like we came out here thinking that we're going to join together. And I saw that girl running this way. I was like, she betrayed me. You know, we, we all know that feeling of what it feels like to be betrayed to a certain degree. And your response when you get betrayed is not return. Come back. Your response is, I'm going to get even." And so for the next, I don't know how long it was, 30 minutes or so, they just punching us, kicking us, hitting us with the bat. And then at the end of it, they broke three thing, my three fingers, they broke my nose, they kicked my jawbone in. Um, my shirt was drenched halfway in blood. I had to be rushed to the emergency hospital and I got 11 stitches on my eyelid and seven in the back of my head. And they took our licenses and they said, if you tell the police, we'll come to your house. You know what God, Jesus said? Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. So after that, I was like, okay, that's enough for me. No more ODS. So ODS disbanded and disappeared. But did I learn my lesson? Nope. You know, I didn't pursue God after that. What is it about us that we will go so gung-ho after this one thing, thinking that if we just get that, we'll be satisfied, we'll be content. And then when we get it, we realize it's vapor. But what do we do? Okay, well, then that was a mistake. I'll, I know I'll, I'll use my rationale and go after this, this thing then. And then we go after it, and it's still vapor. What makes us so foolish to not realize, don't we understand that by our own wisdom, we cannot come to understanding the purpose of our life? So I didn't turn to God. I, I, by God's grace, I somehow graduated high school. Uh, I went to Ithaca College. And um, pretty much the only reason I was in school was because I wanted to get away from home. And I literally just did Monday through Friday classes so I can get to the weekend. My first semester there, fall semester, I was on academic probation because literally I didn't care about my studies. I just wanted to party. And then the spring semester, I would pull off better grades so I wouldn't get kicked out. This happened freshman and sophomore year. I also, during my freshman year, I picked up DJing, you know, DJing. So I had like purchased. 12 inch LPs. You guys know the black thing? I don't know if you guys know. <laughs> it might be past your generation. You know the black records? Yeah. So I had crates of, of LPs and I would DJ parties. Um, but, and I also, I'm ashamed of this, but I also got a nickname. My nickname was DJ because I DJ'd, DP, Doug Park, and then Keg because I used to drink so much. And one of my identities was going to a party and looking at seniors or juniors as a freshman, let's drink. And they'd be like, no, I don't want to drink with you. You outdrink me. This is what I thought my identity was, where I found my meaning. By the time I was a junior in college, I was blacking out every time I went to a party. Pretty much, I drank, and I would wake up in my bed, and I didn't know how I got there. I was smoking weed weekly. I was smoking a pack and a half of a cigarette a day, getting into fights. I just completely lost. But you know, at the same time, what happened was my sister, who's five years younger than me, she sent me a book called Piercing the Darkness. And this book is a fictional story, but it's a Christian fiction. And what it talks about is angels and demons fighting in the spiritual realm over the souls of people. And I remember as I started reading that book, I felt like somebody was looking at me through the window. And so I would close the window. And then I would go to sleep at night, and I would start to hear voices in my closet. And the voices sounded like this. And it felt like somebody was in there and pointing at me. So of course, I turn the light on, open the, the closet, nothing's in there. So it became so scary, I actually slept with the light on. I'm a 20-year-old guy sleeping with the light on. But what I believe was happening was, I believe God was starting to pull back my eyes and see... There's more to this life than just what you see. There is a real reality, the spiritual realm. So in uh, December 17, 1991, I was over at my friend's place. Most of my Asian friends were all at Cornell. Um, and I went over to their house, and there were five of us watching TV. Two of them were on the, you know, the love seat, and three of us were on you know, the couch watching TV. And um, two of them, one of them is an atheist, and the other one is an agnostic And the two guys sitting next to me, they both grew up going to church just like me. So we're just sitting there, we're drinking beer, whatever, we're just talking. And all of a sudden, we start talking about retreats. I don't know why. We just start talking about going to retreats. And so, do you remember going to retreat? Yeah, I remember. I remember how much fun it was. Yeah. And then remember, we even got touched. And all of a sudden, the three of us, we just start tearing. And then our our other two friends are like, are you guys crying? And we're like, oh, snap, what's going on? Oh, you guys are stupid. And my atheist friend goes, you guys are stupid. You're crying? There's no such thing as God. And then my agnostic friend goes, how do you know? You have to know everything in the whole of the universe to know that there's no such thing as God. Do you know that? And he's like, no. He goes, okay, then. So they're like kind of arguing. And then my, the, my two friends here, they're like, yeah, I'm sure there's a God. There's some kind of supreme being. But I'm sure Jesus is probably not the only way. You know. And then I go, what are you guys talking about? You know what the Bible says? You know that we are sinners, and if it wasn't for Jesus coming and dying on the cross, we couldn't be forgiven of sin and have eternal life? But. <laughs> like, And literally at that moment, it was like, as I saying that, God like pulled me out, and I saw myself. And God was saying, "You know the truth, but you're living a lie. Pretense, pretense, treachery." So I looked at my friends, and I just said, "Guys, this is my last cigarette." And I put it out. They're like, "Yeah, whatever. You tried to quit so many times, and it's true. I had tried to quit. I couldn't. I'm physiologically addicted to nicotine." I drove home, and I got home. It was around 8 o'clock at night. I still remember. And I sat on my bed, lights off, and I had not prayed, but I just felt like I needed to say something to God. So I had not prayed. I just sat down, and I didn't even know what to pray because I hadn't prayed like in three years, even more. So this is what I just said. Just being completely honest, I said, Jesus, I know that you're real, but I don't want to follow you. You know, it's interesting because what does God ask of us to return? But what does he ask? Only acknowledge you're guilty of your sins. Acknowledge it. Just be honest. God already knows what's in your heart. You can't, we cannot fool him. Just come to him honestly. And when I said that to God, I said, I know that you're real, but I don't want to follow you. At the exact same moment, I felt something heavy fall on my shoulders. Physical weight, like this. And I couldn't lift up my head. And it, beca- it was so scary. I started going, what is this? What is this? Because I couldn't lift up my head. And all of a sudden, like a movie reel, I began to see my sins. My lust, my anger, my violence, my drinking, my smoking, my cursing, my parents, and blasphemy, and God, like, just. And all of a sudden, like terror came over me. What am I gonna do when I stand before God? I'm gonna go to hell. And I just began to cry out, like, oh, please help me, please save me, please forgive me, what, please help me, what do I do, please help me. And I, again, this whole time, I cannot lift my head, please help me, please help me. And as I'm saying this, my eyes are closed. But all of a sudden, I see Jesus on the cross. I don't see his face. I just see his hands, and I see his his hands and his nails, his feet nailed to the cross. And then blood starting to come down. I see his blood coming towards me. And at first, it terrified me because I was like, what is this? What's going on? And all of a sudden, as it's coming down, it touches me, and the weight just goes, just lifts off completely. And I just start, I just stand up, I just start going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a second chance. Thank you. I just start crying. And I, I go and I grab this big garbage bag. I go into my closet. I grab all my cigarettes and my alcohol, my marijuana, my pornography. And I wrap it up and I take it, throw it out. And I come back. I'm just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Why would you save me? Why would you care about me? Why would you give me life? And as I'm doing this, all of a sudden, I feel like this tugging in my heart, like, that's not everything. Because God wants our whole heart. Like, he wants to give us everything but he also wants our whole heart so i'm like what is it lord what, what, what is what have I not given to you jesus what is it? and like a radar it goes right to my lps my records and i'm like oh no not my records i mean that's my identity that's like my jam that's I, I can't even sleep without music so i do anything a grown man would do i go and i call my younger sister and i call her up and i say because she's been going to church and you know trying to walk as a faithful Christian. I say to her, Lily, God's doing something, and I feel like God wants me to throw away my records. And she says to me, as a 15-year-old, she says, oppa, which means older brother in Korean. You're a grown man. Do what you got to do. I said, okay. I said, hold on. So I put on hold. I go ahead pick up the first crate. Now, I don't feel good doing this. I don't feel like happy. It's, I, I don't. In fact, what I feel and what I hear is, why are you doing this? Like, you know how much money you put into this? You know, you know how this is what you're known for. Like, if you give this up, no one's going to care. No one's going to like it. You know, you're not going to be able to do anything. What are you going to do? So I'm just taking it, I chuck it over, go back on my second crate, chuck it over, third crate, you know, all of them, and just, you can see it in the dumpster. And I'm not feeling any different. I come back in, I pick up the phone, just wondering, like, what, is this what I'm supposed to And I tell my sister, Lily, I threw it away my records. And right when I say that, all of a sudden, something just fails me. Before something. Got off me, something just fills me. And I just start bawling, like bawling, I can't even talk. And what I realized was it wasn't a crying because I felt like I lost something, it was a crying because I felt like I was filled. Like this is what I was created for, to be filled by the Holy Spirit, a temple of God. This is what I this is my purpose in life, to know Him, to be filled with Him. And it wasn't like I felt like I lost anything. In fact, I felt like I gained a thousand times more. And I said to Lily, I can't talk right now. And she said, Okay, I hung up. I want to remind you what God says. Return, faithless Israel. Return, faithless children, for I am merciful. I will not be angry at you. I will bring you to Zion. I will carry you. Do you remember in Luke 15 what happens when the master finds that one lost sheep? What does he do? He picks it up and puts it on his shoulder rejoicing because that's what the Father wants. That's what God wants, you to be with him wholeheartedly. So I'm crying. I go back into my room and I just like say, thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I, I want to know you more. Teach me, God. And just, just talking, talking. And then I tell you the truth. He's more real to me than you guys are. More real. And then I look at my watch and it's four o'clock in the morning. I had been praying from eight to four, eight hours, but it felt like 10 minutes. And I'm like, God, I got a final tomorrow, I gotta to go sleep. So I go to sleep, wake up around 6 37, take a shower, feeling refreshed. Around eight o'clock, I thought the, the, the test was like around nine or something. So I get out and I still remember the day. As I open the door, it's overcast and there's a light snow. But it was like the most beautiful day I've ever experienced. I felt like I was a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says this Therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new has come Leonard Ravenhill he says it so well Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good he's come into the world to make dead men live and that's exactly what I felt like I felt alive finally Did all these other things thinking that that would give me life but it only led to my destruction and the one thing that was always waiting for me, the faithful one that was always waiting, he gave me life. So I went and took the test, came back, and this is when I knew that God really changed me. I opened the door, and I have two roommates that I was living with. One was a Puerto Rican guy named Joel, and we were like brothers. Like We loved each other. We hung out together. But we had another roommate. His name was Aaron. Let's just say his name was Aaron. Okay, his name was Aaron. So <laughs> well, we, we, we hated him. Like, he was so selfish. We would buy food. we put it in the refrigerator. Anyone could eat. He would buy food, put it in a paper bag, write Aaron's food, don't touch, right? So, me and jo- Joel, like, we're like, let's beat him up while he's sleeping. But this is before I was a Christian, okay? So, I walk home and I see him walking up the stairs, like, going to his room, and all of a sudden I feel God say to me, tell him Jesus loves him. I'm like, no, you tell him. I'm like, what? I don't love him, no. You know, I, but really it's because I go, but God, you love me? You're merciful to me? It's the compassion of Christ compels me. So I look over, I say, hey, Aaron, God wants me to tell you that Jesus loves you. And he's like, uh, Jesus loves you too. And he runs upstairs to his room. I go, oh, my gosh. From a place of hate to a place of actual love. And even my relationship with my father, God restored that. And after the you know, winter break, because the winter break happened right after that, I came back, and one of my best friends from high school, his name is John Wong, we've been friends since seventh grade he went to cornell i went to ithaca we hung out like all the time uh, i went over to their place and john's like yo where were you the whole winter man i called you you didn't ask where were you i was like oh you know i was just giving my life to christ and i'm just reading the bible and going to church he was oh, you became a christian i'm like yeah he's like does that mean like if we get to fight you're not gonna fight with me i'm like uh, i will stand in the middle and i'll take the punches but no I'm not going to fight. Does that mean we're not going to drink together? Like, I'll go get coffee with you anytime. No. And all of a sudden, he reaches into his wallet, and he pulls out my senior picture from high school. He carried it in his wallet. And on the back of it, it says, to John Wong, my drinking brother forever. And he threw the card at me, the picture at me, and then he slapped me. He goes, get the F out of my house. And he walked into his room. And as I sat there, I just started to weep. You know why I wept? Again, not because... John slapped me. But that the faithful creator of the universe would count me worthy to suffer for his name. Who am I? Who am I? You know, there's so many things that I, I want to boast about Jesus, how good he's been. I mean, calling me into ministry, beautiful, glorious wife, precious children, ministry. I mean, just he's been so good and so faithful. But you know what has been the greatest thing about my, this whole time with the Lord? Is that he has been faithful. And the fact that the, the holy righteous one would continue to call to me, return back to me, Doug. Even when I stumble today, even when I fail today, God says, I knew you were going to do that, but I still loved you and I still forgave you. Even if he you know, knows what you're going to sin tomorrow. That's the faithful, merciful God that we serve. And today, I hope that you will hear the words of God through Jeremiah. Return. O faithless children, return, declares the Lord. For I will not look on you in anger; for I am merciful. declares I will not be angry forever. I am your master, and I'll bring you to Zion. I want to just invite the praise team to come up, and if we would just take a moment to respond to the Lord. I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. God takes His relationship with you seriously. How about you? How about us? Are we faithless? Are we treacherous? And God has every right to condemn us, every right to point fingers of condemnation on us, but that's not what he wants to do. You heard the message today. You heard his very words, his voice. Return. Return. And today, if you would just only acknowledge your guilt, only acknowledge and confess honestly. Some of you today in this room, you're like, Pastor Doug, I've said sorry so many times, but I just constantly feel like I'm stumbling. I hear you. I feel you. Believe me, I feel you. But you see, you're not trying to live duplicitous. You're actually trying to pursue Christ in your stumbling. There's a difference. This is a call to those who know that they are away from God and they're okay with it. Return. The Father is calling. The Lord Jesus is calling. Return. Are you living duplicitous, treacherous, faithless? God wants you home with him. The Father wants you home with him. Would you return to him with your whole heart? With your whole heart. Don't worry about like, oh, does I have to give this up to them? You know what? When you come to God and you let his love embrace you, he will give you the strength to say yes to what needs to be said yes to and to say no to what needs to be said no to. He will do that because He will bring you. He will take you. He will carry you. He will strengthen you. Would you return today? So just take a moment to respond. Respond to just to return the call of the Father.